You clothe yourself in light, a garment like the sun, arrayed in holiness, the everlasting one. All other gods can't see, they have ears but cannot hear. But you have made all things, you alone are to be feared. You shine brighter than the sun, and in the heavens are on the earth, there is no not one like you, Lord. You shine brighter than the sun. In the heavens are on the earth, there is no not one like you, Lord. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Brandon Archer Podcast. This is Brandon Archer, and I am excited to get into today's topic. Um, also, it, it is going to be part three in the final um discussion on discipleship. I'm really excited about it. Also, just to, on a side note here, just to talk about current events and what's going on in our world, is these are things that God, uh, well, actually Jesus reminded us, you know, there's going to be rumor of wars, pestilence, uh, diseases, um, nation will rise against nation. All these things are just birth pains, right? He called them birth pains. So it's not something for us to fear or to get anxiety over or to stress out about, but it is something for us to pray about, to be in unity with God's spirit and to know what he wants us to do in the time that we're living in, because we're living in the last days. I believe that. I believe we should always live as if Jesus could return at any moment, but specifically we can see the signs. He says in in the scripture I'm talking about, Jesus begins to describe the weather He's like, you can see in the sky and you can tell, oh, look, it looks like storms coming or there's uh, the weather's changing. Right. And you can discern that. But can you not discern the times that you're living in? So he gives us a little hint as when you see all these things, these are birth pains. But the end's not yet, but it will. It's coming nigh. Right. It's, it's going to be soon. So I just believe that we're supposed to live on purpose, live with intention, live pressed into the spirit of God and what God has for us to be doing with our life. And I just pray that God would stir our passion, stir our heart, stir our uh, our spirit man to be the thing that speaks, to be the thing that sees, to be the thing that hears. Because, you know, it's real easy to look at events, to get tapped into the news or tapped into a different source and start feeding on it. And it just brings doom and gloom, depression, fear, anxiety, unbelief. Sometimes you can be disillusioned, right? You're just like, wow, man, you think you're going one way and then life just takes a turn and you're at a place of like being disillusioned, meaning you can't see clearly, you're confused, you're you're in a state of, of not having a, a security system within your being of knowing where you're going, what you're doing. And that's where the enemy likes to hit us the hardest. He likes to come after us in those moments because uh, we don't have any, uh, you know, if we don't have a foundation, we'll get rocked and he can turn us this way. He can flip us that way. He can get us to go in a direction that God's not asking us to go. But if we surrender and go after, press into God, um, lean into the Lord, then in those places, God can reaffirm, re-strengthen, re-baptize, re 
give us a fresh fire uh, of his spirit and understanding and wisdom and and also uh, maybe a, a new assignment maybe a new task at hand that needs to be completed maybe a new uh you know opportunity to create something to invent something and god can tap into us and say hey there here's a need fill it here here's an assignment go accomplish it you know god wants to give us assignments he wants to give us tasks to to do on this earth uh, he left us here to be ambassadors to to engage with this uh world system and be the light of the world to be those who represent the kingdom of god and uh we we have a home which is heaven but while we're here on the earth we want to uh, establish god's kingdom and who he is and really it's him doing the work through us but how do we do that how, how can we enter into that i believe it's through discipleship i believe it's through connect connecting with uh organizations and people that are uh, specific they have they they know what they're supposed to be doing they they have a call they know what what their assignment is and when you get around people who are going in a direction you can you can join that ship that fellowship you can join on you can get on board and you can be a part of uh being productive in doing what god has called um, the body of christ to do and that's what really discipleship is about and uh i want to go ahead and just pray first of all let me just take a moment and pray for Ukraine and the the war over there. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I lift up the Ukrainians. I lift up the Russians. God, I see this this division, this battle, this power, money, control, fear, all the things that motivate and drive war. Sometimes that what what you say in your word is that it's because we want what we want and we don't get it because we don't go to God and ask, so we try to take by force, and that creates war. And God, I just rebuke war in Jesus' name, the war of the, of, of the carnal man where, where men are destroying and, and killing one another, God. I, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. God, I pray, Lord, that you would raise up men and women of God of righteousness out of this place. God, I pray for protection over the Ukrainians. I pray for those innocent children, mothers and fathers, Lord, those brothers and sisters, Lord, those, those people who are innocent, who are just trying to live their life, make a living, that have families, they have, they have loved ones. And God, all of a sudden, because of the higher power, the higher authority in the region, God, there, there's this, this dictatorship and this evil, God, that's been allowed to rule and, and reign. And God, it's, it's causing uh, destruction, chaos, people's lives, Lord, that have nothing to do with it. They don't spend their days concerned with the, the world's affairs and all the stuff god they spend their days just just making a living loving one another christians over there in ukraine god that that love you that pray that have a passion and their whole world is being destroyed god i pray lord for your holy spirit i pray for angels i pray for divine protection i pray for divine uh it, it just a rising up in their spirit god that you would send them forth with with your spirit god to the place that you have for them god God, that if, if things are shifting there, God, that you would give assignments, that you would, that you would be giving out heavenly assignments to people that would hear a call, not to mourn and, to, and there's a time to mourn, there's a time to weep, God, but that they wouldn't stay in a place of just being miserable and stuck in a place of, of what the damage that's done, but instead, God, they would pick up an assignment, a heavenly assignment to do something great for you, God. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would establish your kingdom, your purpose, 
on this earth and in our lives, God. And where men of evil influence, men uh, even in the days of old would rise up, God, I pray you would raise up uh, for each one evil man a a thousand righteous. For one evil person, God, a thousand righteous people would rise up in the land, God. And you would you would be with them. You would be for them. You would back them, God. Supernatural protection. Supernatural offensive, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We love you. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who protects. You're a God who guides. And God, you're a God who takes what the enemy means for evil. What, what this wicked, depraved leader means for evil. The demonic forces behind it, God, would want to create... God, I pray you would turn it for good for this nation, for Ukraine, for our country, for the world. I pray out of this, God, would be uh, something great that would come out of it in your name, Lord. And I know it all plays a part of what you're doing and your purpose, God. But help us to not get disillusioned or distracted, but help us stay on purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and dive into part three of the discipleship series I've been talking about. And I kind of want to just, you know, press into uh, this idea of school, right? Now, you know, in America, we had some, we have these these prestigious schools like uh, Harvard, Yale, Pres- uh, Princeton. And there's more than that, but these are three that I just wanted to mention. And to tell you, you know, these schools were founded by believers, by people who uh, were Christians. They were actually Christian schools, and they were there to prepare people uh, to raise them up in the area of whatever that was that their desire was to be, but it was to have a biblical foundation, to have a biblical understanding of life in a, a, a Christian worldview from the perspective of the Bible. And those teachers, uh, I believe, were radical men and women of God who had a passion for the word, who had a passion to teach students truth from God's word. Now we know now, somewhere along the way, those there was compromise. And this is a great example of what happens in our society and in in our, in our, even in our own personal lives when we allow compromise to come in is it's a slow fade. It's something that comes in and slowly works in our life to push us away from uh, the law and, and the wisdom and the truth of, of God. It comes to water it down. It comes to, oh, it's not really that important. You know, you don't really need God in every area of your life, just in a little bit. And then you have people who are godless who come in and, and don't even worship or love God. And the next thing you know, they take up places of of influence and places of leadership in our life and then they influence us and move us away from that consecrated all-in passionate persistent pursuit of God and persistent passionate pursuit of what God has left us on the earth to do which is to minister to people to to show people that God is alive and uh I believe that, you know, even our schools today, how in America have really been perverted and are being perverted. And there's laws and there's people out there who have no desire to see our children discipled into the things of God. But they want to see them discipled into a worldview, which is a demonic uh, 
sexually immoral, uh, just debased society. You know, like in some cities, I think it's San Francisco, where now you can shoplift and they can't, par- you know, prosecute you. You can't go to jail. You can't get in trouble for stealing. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, when I was a kid, I remember stealing and getting in trouble, and it was miserable. It was a miserable experience. And I never wanted to do it again. But now you have laws that are in place that, that actually encourage people to go steal. And there's no consequences. So guess what? Those people are going to steal again. And then as they grow and they get bigger things in life, they're going to probably push that forward and try to steal in some other area of their life. And then it's going to really bite them in the butt because, uh, you know, money laundering, uh, fudging numbers, all this stuff that happens. Uh, at the corporate level, at higher levels, even at the political level, you know, those things usually come back to really bite people in the behind. So um, we need people in our school system or, and now we have a, a separation of like, well, we have Christian schools and we have, then we have, you know, public school and everybody who's a Christian thinks about public school and goes, oh my God, please no, I don't want to send my kid there. I don't want to send my kid because why? Because it's become so diluted, perverted and horrendous. And then you have families and and people that are broken that are sending their kids to these schools and these kids are messed up and they're they're uh, they're broken and they become bullies or there there's all this just ugliness and there's no, you know, place of prayer or consecration. You're not teaching the kids to, to look at God, that God is a has a place and a seat in their heart in their life to teach them and to speak into their life but no it's just teachers and other kids and influences of the world and uh, you have music industry that influences kids and then they dress like you got young girls dressing like they're you know hoochie mamas you got young boys acting like they're you know they're pimps or whatever because of the influence of the music industry in their life you have depressed you know uh, people because of the music they listen to they walk around like with you know black makeup and looking like emo and depressed and poor me and all this weird stuff because of the music that they pump into their their ears and so there's a scripture in the bible that i want to uh, start out with to kind of make a point uh, that jesus taught and he said in was it mark let me go let me find it real quick uh, let's see here believe it's uh, oh sorry that's uh, let me back up yeah it's right here um so mark 4 24 and 25 and it says this it says then he said to them pay attention to what you hear by your own standard of measurement that is to the extent that you study spiritual truth and apply and apply godly wisdom it will be measured to you and you will be given even greater ability to respond and more will be given to you besides for whoever has a teachable heart to him more understanding will be given and whoever does not have a yearning for truth even what he has will be taken away from him so it's talking about having an ear right and being uh, a guard or mindful of what you're hearing there's all kinds of uh, nonsense, right? There's even people who are think they're doing good for the things of God and they're teaching garbage. They're teaching stuff that actually leads people away from uh, consecration, a, a life 
of all in mentality, right? Like we're, we're here to give them purpose and to give people um, identity in Christ. But no, they give them identity in an organization, identity in a church instead of identity in Jesus and identity in what he taught, right? Take here what heed what you hear because what measure you give will be measured back to you. So he's saying, hey, don't just listen for listening's sake and don't allow stuff to go into your spirit, into your being uh, without having some sort of checks and balances. This is why the word of God is so important. The word of God is the foundation. It is the source of why we even have Christianity today, right? This Bible and then God coming and confirming his word, confirming who he is in our lives. He comes in and shows us through the word and he also comes in and shows us you know, what's wrong and what's immoral. You can look in life and even just see the evidence of what certain things produce and say, okay, I don't want that, right? Oh, it seems like people go to jail when they live this lifestyle, so I don't want to live that lifestyle. Oh, it seems like people, uh, they end up busted and broke when they do this, and so I don't want to do that. You know, you can look and learn just by watching other people. That's discipleship as well. Um, unfortunately, it's not the discipleship I I think is the biblical version. A lot of people are like, well, you can just be discipled by just having a relationship with God and just going to church. And yeah, I agree with that. And, and, but there's more to it than just that, because if that's the case, then I believe these schools that were founded originally, right? Princeton, Harvard, Yale, with biblical precepts and principles would have survived the test if they would have had accountability, if they would have had standards, if they would have had people who were like, uh, if you think about um, the Holy Grail, right? Like in the, in the, <laughs> this is a, a movie, okay? I'm going off into movie <laughs> make-believe, but I want to use this as an illustration. And if you ever seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, they were these, these guys that were in charge of guarding the secrets of the Grail, right? They didn't want people to find out uh, where it was because they knew if they found it, that it would have been used for evil intentions. And so Indiana's on this quest. His, his dad's on the quest to find it. He's got all, he's figured it out. But then he runs into opposition from these guys who are part of this like holy um, group of people who are like disciples of this certain uh, view of we're, we're here to protect, Right. And they even at one point get into a fight with the with the Nazi, the German soldiers that are trying to pursue the Grail for their evil purposes. And uh, Indiana's kind of neutral. He's just like, I, I just want to find it because I want to know if it's real or not. And then I'm going to put it in a museum. And then you have the guys who are like, no, nobody needs to know about it because it's sacred and it's holy. So there's the dynamic of of Christians who can kind of be this this voice and this hold this standard of, you know what, we're we're here to protect by the spirit of God, not in our flesh, the precepts, the, the truths of God's word. We're here to take a stand, to fight for, to even lay down our life for the truths that are found in God's word. And the, we, we proclaim it, we teach it, we preach it. We, we get into attention with other spirits or other people who would try to oppose those viewpoints. And it's not a tension of, of carnality, but it's a tension of, of purity, of, of holiness, of truth that says, I stand upon the word of God, right? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I die for the cause 
of Jesus, who is the Word. Jesus was the Word of God. So everything that is in the Bible is a representation of who Jesus was, the good, the bad, the ugly, that some people say, oh, they want to try to push that down and say, oh, that's not God. But in reality, it is God because God is a jealous lover. God is holy. He's righteous. He is a a, a, a God to be feared because he can destroy. But he's also a God to be loved because he chooses not to for the sake of the th- his object of affection, which is people. So he chooses mercy over judgment. He chooses grace because he wants people to engage with him and he wants people to know who he is out of a relationship, not out of a mandate. So we, we see these schools that were uh, founded and then time they've been completely corrupted, completely liberal, like to the, to the, from, if you could go totally, totally white to totally, totally black, that's what's happened to these schools. And why is that? Because there weren't people taking a stand for what they believe. They, they bowed down. They, they let go because of oppression, because of maybe, uh, money situations. You know, people will compromise over the littlest thing. People will compromise over the littlest temptations and change their views and change their what they think because of persecution or because somebody challenged or somebody doesn't like them or or says we're not going to give you this or we're going to hold this from you. You know how many Christians are going to probably take the mark of the beast? That's what they teach in the Bible that that there's going to be people that compromise. And the Bible says in the last days there'll be men who the great falling away, right? So why is that? Because in and of ourselves, in our own strength, we will fail miserably, God. But if we have this heart that's tied to him, that's that's already made the decision to, hey, look, I'm not alive anymore for myself, but I'm alive to him, then we have a passion to take a stand, a passion to do what, what's right, a passion to say, God, what would you want me to do in this situation? So what were Bible schools Therefore, we have them today. I went to Bible school. There's many people that go to Bible school and those Bible schools will produce a result in your life. They'll produce a foundation, a doctrinal belief, a view of how you look at, at, at Christianity, how you read your Bible, how you pray, how you worship, how you give uh, financially monetary stuff, how you worship, how you, how you, what is worship, um, how do you serve other people? How do you interpret the scriptures? These are all things that are taught in a Bible school and they're taught in churches as well. That's why a lot of our churches, you know, they have they have these programs that you can enter into to learn about subjects, to be discipled in a certain topic. So you can go, well, hey, if you're struggling in your marriage, come to our marriage class. You'll be discipled in how to have a better marriage. Hey, if you if you're just struggling with, um, you know, uh, purpose or whatever, come come learn, get discipled in purpose. Come get discipled in uh, financial stuff, right? Like, are you in debt? Do you have problems with money? Well, then come to our financial class and we'll teach you. We'll disciple you. So these are all good things, right? So these need to be in our life and we have to have a hunger and a passion to learn the word of God. And I'm not talking about somebody's, hey, come learn my class that I'm going to teach you that has nothing to do with the Bible and God's word, but just has to do with, you know, the worldview or the world system or uh, somebody else's clever idea of how to do it. But there's no word of God there. 
Why? Because we want to lift God up. We want God to be the center because when he's king, when he's put in its rightful place, then blessing flows, then then peace flows, then unity flows, then goodness flows. But when you try to remove him from that place, you get all this chaos, you get all this discontention and contention or uh, people who are, uh, you know, upset or frustrated or irritated. And the Bible says when the righteous rule, the people um, rejoice. But when the ev- when wicked rule, the people rem- are mourning, they're, they're, they're pressed down. So leadership is important and leadership, not just in an individual, but leadership in a institution, in, in an organization. How do you lead people into the things of God? Discipleship. So we see that when Jesus is saying, take heed what you hear. We've all been to school. We've all been raised up to, to, to understand certain things, right? Like the basics, math, English, history, science. So we're discipled in these things so that we can be out and, and not, you know, not know anything about life, but be discipled in understanding, oh, life, right? This is how life works. Sociology, government, all these things you take in high school and junior high, and they, they indoctrinate you with ideas of how to think in school. And that's why even more so today, we need discipleship because we need people to be challenging the mindset of the world and the mindset of this age that is contrary to the mind of God, that's contrary to the word of God. So we need systems. We need uh, churches to rise up, to create schools, to have schools that, that people can go to that you know obviously don't cost an arm and a leg to go to. But we need to raise up. People need to support these schools. They need to get behind schools that are raising up kids in the things of God that show them how to have a devotion, how to, how to include God in your life, how to put him in his rightful place in your life. Because in public school, you, you actually get in trouble if you try to bring God into it. You can bring homosexuality and gender confusion into a school, but you can't bring God, morality, and love, and respecting one another, and you know, love your neighbor as your self-doctrine. But you can bring all this, you know, love yourself more than other people to the point of where you're, you know, crazy. So it's so twisted. So discipleship is more than just, you know, just a one-on-one relationship with somebody that you deem a, a, a leader in your life. There's more to it. There's there's more that you have to give yourself to than just, you know, having a relationship with people who are actually living at a level that we're not. You know, we don't need to be discipled by people who aren't at a different place. You know, it's funny because I would get around Christians and they, it's almost like the insecurity in people where they're like, you know, nobody's better than anyone else. Everyone's the same. You know, everyone's the same. If that's the case, we're in trouble. Okay. If if everybody's at the same level, then nobody's getting going higher and nobody's going to an, 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 a new place in the things of God. Now, from God's perspective, his love for us, he doesn't love anybody the same. There's no partiality with God. But there are those who have chosen to, to, like John, put their head on his chest and press in and lean in and say, Jesus, I want I want more of who you are. And I believe that's what separates them out from the crowd. That's what lifts them to a higher place. And it's not even about position. It's, It's a spiritual place on the inside of confidence and understanding of who God is in their life. And you need people like this in your life to snap you out, to snatch you out of when the devil's trying to get you into a funk. 
And we need churches that create atmospheres to get people snapped out of that delusional place of where life is just all about them and their little you know, woes and all their little sorrows. But you can go in and minister life and healing to people and show them God loves you. God cares about you and you're free and you're awesome. And now he wants to empower you to go out and do something for him. To ha- to, he has an assignment. He has a calling. He has a purpose on your life. And it's not just to make money and build a kingdom and be comfortable in your little zone of comfort, but it's to to get you out of that comfort, to go out and to, to be an example to other people. So we see this in, in Jesus' mandate in Matthew, where he says, go ye, make disciples, right? Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came up and said to them, all authority, that means all authority, all power, absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words. You know, now's the perfect time for people who are, you know, radical to go after people in the Ukraine to to go and to speak life into this place and to minister and to see them baptized, see them raised up in the things of God. Um, This is actually a, a commandment from the Lord. Go ye, right, into all the earth. Make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn. This is our responsibility. We have to help them learn, just like we would in a classroom. Have to help them believe, have faith, understanding, belief in him. And to what? And to obey. See, this is the part most Christians don't like. What do you mean? We got to help people obey. No, you can't tell people what to do. You can't get in their life and 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 be confrontational and and because then they're going to say you're unloving and that's not what Jesus would do. Actually, Jesus is telling us this is part of the responsibility for us. He's not saying don't worry about it. I'll take care of everything. You do nothing. No, he's telling us to go and make. Go make. You go make. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of the circumstances, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. So he's saying, you go, I'm with you because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, Jesus is with us, okay? And I believe that 100%. This is how we have relationship with God. This is how we interact with God. This is how we feel his presence because the Holy Spirit now is that access that we, that that gives us the ability to connect with the supernatural power of God. The supernatural uh, person of Jesus now can come alive in us. Um, here's another scripture, Mark 16, 17 through 20. And Jesus says, these signs will accompany those who go, those who, who have believed who believe in me, those who are on on mission with the great commission, this is what they'll do. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. They will, and they will get well. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. So here's Jesus giving that statement. And then he gets taken into heaven and he sits down at the right hand of God. And then they went out and preached everywhere. So here Jesus goes up and he sits down 
at the right hand of the Father. And then what is what what are they doing? They're doing what he said. They go out and preach everywhere. While the Lord was working with them and confirming the word by the signs that followed. Now let's let's take a moment and and, and recognize Jesus as God. Jesus is God. God came down from heaven, became a man. He's Jesus. God is Jesus. He's not separate from their three in one. Okay. God's not over here, you know, up somewhere in heaven, like having a coffee, you know, sitting watching, you know, <laughs> like watching uh, our lives on a TV, big TV screen, just watching like a reality show. Watch, okay, Jesus, you handle it. No, Jesus is God. This is the love of God, that God came in the flesh. And this God man, he is the baptizer in holy, the Holy Spirit and fire. So Jesus now is, his mission is fulfilled on the cross in the resurrection, but it's sealed by what? By the dispensation and release of the Holy Spirit onto people who have yoked up and believe in him. So now what is it about? Is Jesus just this figure to be idolized and worshiped in this idea and to be put around your neck on a cross, to wear a shirt, to have merch, right? We have merch now and it's Jesus and it's pictures of Jesus and it's this drawing of, of a, a guy with a beard, right? This is, this is the purpose. Oh, look, here's the man, Jesus. No, Jesus is like, look, I'd rather be in you with the Holy Spirit and fire than you wearing me on a t-shirt. I'd rather you be going and doing what I asked you to do than you sitting and looking at me, an image of me, of a picture somebody drew of me and idolizing and worshiping the idol of what Jesus is in your life and not the reality of who Jesus is in the Bible. These things are so important for us to waken us to the reality of, of the times we live in to the reality of how important discipleship is. Because what we hear, what we look at, what we gaze at, actually, uh, we will become like, we'll take on the mannerisms, we'll take on, uh, you can even look in certain movements and certain uh, circles of Christianity where you have this, this um, monkey see, monkey do, right? You have people that talk the same. Literally, they didn't talk that way when they were kids, or when they were growing up, but because they were around people so long, they ended up sounding and saying words exactly like they do. And that's not a bad thing if it's glorifying God, but it is a bad thing when people just become copies of other people and not originals. And God has called us to be originals. He's called us to be radicals. He's called us to be set apart for his purpose on the earth. And his purpose on the earth is a thing called the harvest. The harvest of mankind that mankind would know and be to the realization that this isn't it and that there is sin and that sin separates you from God. And if you don't receive Jesus, then you will go to hell. If you don't accept Christ and enter into that relationship, that there's a hell, right? There's a, there is a bad place that is real. And nowadays you don't hear people even preach on hell or talk about hell, but you hear them preach about all the other stuff, but they never talk about the sobering things in the Bible that, that are God. Jesus, 
Jesus is teaching because he is the word of God. So Jesus, as the baptizer in fire, he's the word, but he's also the one who baptizes us uh, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And if we go to Acts, I'm going to read Acts 1 through 8 here. The first account I made, Theophilus, was a continuous report about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he ascended to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given instruction. So this is talking about that moment of great, the, the Great Commission that we just went over, those two scriptures. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given instruction. So here's discipleship. Jesus is, even at the end, he's discipling them. He's giving them instruction. This is what I want you to go do to the apostles, special messengers, whom he had chosen. To, this, to these men, he also showed himself alive after his suffering um, by a series of many invaluable, infallible proofs and unquestionable demonstrations, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and talking to them about the things concerning the kingdom of God. So it's on God's heart now. It's on his, the purpose of dying on the cross is done. He he fulfilled the mandate. Now he's passing on this purpose of he made the way now for men to enter into that connection with him and his purpose. Now he's he's disclosing who Jesus is. We're supposed to become like him, right? We're being transformed to the image of Christ. Well, what is that image? Is it this religious version of Jesus? Is it like I was talking about what's on a t-shirt, what people say, what certain people try to present Jesus? No, it's in the Bible. You can see who he is. What's his mandate? What's the instructions he's giving as he's ascending and leaving earth in a supernatural, miraculous way? He's giving instructions. He's not saying, okay, guys, um, I'll see you later. Have fun. Yay. No, he's going here. Here's, here's instruction. Here's discipleship and this is what you're to do and he spoke to them of the kingdom of god while being together and eating with them he commanded them not to leave jerusalem but to wait for the father for what the father had promised of which he said you have heard me speak for john baptized with water but you will be baptized and empowered and united with the holy spirit not long from now so when they had come together, they asked him repeatedly, Lord, are you at this time reestablishing the kingdom and restoring it to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I like when he's what he's saying is, look, it's not don't worry about the restoring of power. Don't worry about this this idea of what you think the the restoration of Israel is going to look like you just go and do what i told you to do you just be you just um be fixed and understand you're going to receive power from me in a supernatural way and ability you're going to have ability and power after the holy spirit comes to live in you and be upon you you'll be a witness to tell people about me. You're going to be able to go out, people who never saw me, people who didn't don't even know I exist, people who don't even believe that there is a Jesus or that there is a God in heaven, there is one God. People that don't have never encountered 
this the kingdom of God, you're going to now carry that on the inside of you and you're going to go witness to people about me, both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So he's saying, here's your mandate. Here's what you're to be concerned about. First of all, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that you receive the power and the ability that God has promised you and wrapped up in that power and that ability are all the character traits of of Jesus, right? The love, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, the goodness of God. All those things are wrapped up in Christ. And now ability, what you're going to what be doing with what I've given you that you're going to be responsible with now taking the mandate of what I've said to other people and making sure that they're learning and obeying and doing what I've called them to do, that that now becomes your purpose and your mandate. Hallelujah. So we look at the Bible and we see a very different picture of and then what people try to portray in what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is a beautiful thing in its right place, but in its wrong place, it's a church with stained glass windows. It's a church that looks beautiful, that architect's great, it's awesome, but yet on the inside, it's full of dead works, dead people who do nothing, who have no ability, who have no power, who just go to a service, who sit, who are struggling, who are in bondage, who actually probably some of them demon-possessed, full with, filled with stuff that shouldn't be there in their life. And that becomes Christianity. It's a watered-down version. It's, it's a beauty on the outside, but dysfunction on the inside because the power and the ability hasn't taken up residence on the inside of them. With what purpose? Which is um, assignment. What is God calling you to do? God's not calling you to come and just now be a Christian, stare at Jesus and how awesome he is, and then never go out and do anything for him. In fact, the voice of God would rebuke those who would sit on their hands and do nothing for him. God wants us to be awakened and alive to the purpose that he's created us for. He doesn't want us to be uh, in a room not doing anything for him. And I believe that. And I, it's, it's a contention in my own soul to not be contending and going after the things of God. If I don't have that tension in my life, I'm miserable. To actually have it feeds me. Actually, it actually makes me feel like I'm having a relationship with God. If I'm doing nothing but going to church, checking boxes, making sure I'm living right, making sure I never cuss, I don't lust, I don't do anything wrong, and that becomes my Christianity, then it it actually becomes dead. And And let me tell you something, it is boring. You can't create enough stuff to try to make life fun when what you're telling people life is, is actually boring. What's exciting is going out and engaging with darkness, engaging with things that are wrong and seeing the enemy destroyed, seeing his work be obliterated, seeing people's lives transformed, seeing people who didn't know God come to know him. That is the most fulfilling, engaging 
thing you can ever experience in your life. And it's a beautiful thing. It's an awesome, incredible thing to be used by God. And I think if we look at um, discipleship from a biblical view, we realize, oh, we're, we're being transformed by God into Jesus' image, which was what? Jesus had a purpose. He had a mandate from heaven to fulfill, and he fulfilled it. And, and he, te- he taught, he, cast, he did the very thing he told us to do, he did it. So we would actually be serving a different Jesus if we didn't make those things a part of our life and actually measure our, are we like Jesus by those things that he did and he said, if we're not saying and doing, then we should met, we should be like, oh, I'm not really a Christian because I'm not doing what God, what Jesus did. I'm not like, you can look at, I want to be like you, Lord. I want, I want you to transform me. I want you to live on the inside of me. And, but yet never have boldness, never have an excitement, never have a passion to go do what he's called us to do. Other than what? Like being a pulpit, preaching a message or, or what else is there? Right. On church, being on a stage, singing songs. You know, I think it's great and we need to sing songs. We need to preach messages. But if that's the pinnacle of of our existence as Christians and then everybody in the crowd is coming and they're looking and they're saying, oh, here are the special people. It's special to be up on a stage. It's special to be in a pulpit. I love to be in the pulpit. I love to preach the word. I love to have a room of people. But it's not so much about the preaching as it is about the the um, experience and watching God move and finding people that are busted and going and ministering to them, seeing people who have uh, maybe unlocking them to their purpose, unlocking some desires or some things that nobody knows about being used by God, right? Words of knowledge, all the things that the Holy Spirit uh, can use a, use in our life as the gifts to flow and show people that God's alive, not to show them that I'm cool or that I'm because I can flow in a gift, but to show that, man, God's alive. God's alive and he has something for me to do. He has purpose on my life. Uh, we're getting a little glimpse of, uh, let me flesh this out, in 2 Corinthians um, verse, or 2 Corinthians 5, and starting in verse, let's see here, uh, 5, 6 through 16, I'm going to read. So then being always filled with good courage and confident hope, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, For we walk by faith, not by sight, living our lives in a manner consistent with our confident belief in God's promises. We are, as I was saying, of good courage and confident hope and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home on earth or away from the home with him, it is our constant ambition to be pleasing to him. You know that that ambition speaks of something underneath the hood right motivation uh, something that's that isn't seen by the eye when you have ambition you have a desire to accomplish to complete to get to 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 fulfill something in your life and paul's ambition was to please god and nowadays you hear preach you know there's nothing you can do to please the lord you can't earn his love for you can't do anything like this but we know there's scripture that actually contradicts that because he says those who seek god first must know that he is but that he's also a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He loves everyone the same. The invitation is the same to everyone, but we can choose 
and, and have an ambition to want to please him. And what does that mean? To actually heed his instruction, to do what he's asking us to do, to do the thing that he's calling us to do, that his heart's desire is for us to actually be active with him, right? By the Holy Spirit in the earth today as disciples proclaiming the truth, preaching and teaching people, seeing them step into their purpose, their calling, what God has for them. For we believers will be called to account for all believers. Every Christian is going to be called to account and must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. That is, each will be held be responsible for his actions, purposes, goals, motives, the use or misuse of his time, opportunities, and abilities. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord and understand the importance of obedience and worship, therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord and understand the importance of obedience and worship, we know that it's just not like this thing that's like, the watered down version of a relationship with God. God doesn't care what you do. He, do. he just wants you to look at him, to know that he loves you, know that he's so awesome and merciful and kind, but yet you don't have to be concerned with how you live your life, what you do with your time, how you think about people, how where your heart's at. You don't have to engage in discipleship. You don't have to be responsible for any kind of um, assignment or purpose that he's wanting to place in you and, and, and give you uh, the the anointing and the ability to go fulfill that. He, he doesn't care about any of that stuff. He just wants to make sure that you make it into heaven. This is a farce. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It is not Christianity. And churches that pump that into people's lives are actually contrary to the Bible. They, they're not actually preaching the Bible. They're, ta- they're picking stuff that feels good and that's gushy, but then they leave out the stuff that actually challenges the heart like this right? That since we know what the fear of the Lord is and understand the importance of obedience and worship, we persuade people, meaning this is now our, because we have the fear of the Lord in our life and we worship and we're obedient to him, we are now going to persuade other people to be reconciled to him. We need you to know that God loves you. He cares about you that there's purpose for you, that you don't have to waste your life. You don't have to spend your life on nothing and end up with nothing. You don't have to try to get everything in the world, but end up empty and and, and empty on the inside and have nothing when it comes to God, which to have God is everything. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but are giving you an occasion to be rightfully proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in outward appearances, the the virtues they pretend to have rather than what is actually in, in their heart. If we are out of our mind, just unstable fanatics, as some critics would say, Oh, those people are crazies. Don't listen to those guys. Oh, they're crazy. Oh, they, that's, that's what they did to Jeremiah, right? They, they didn't like hearing Jeremiah. They actually went and tried to burn, right, the word of the Lord because they didn't want to hear the truth. If we're crazy, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for your benefit. For the love of Christ controls and compels us. So here's that love of Christ. The love of God. It's not just this flowery, God loves you so much. You're so beautiful. You're so great to him. Like, yeah, he loves you. He loves you. He gave his life. He came and showed you so that he can now empower you and equip you and give you purpose and and make your life this incredible uh, story of who he is. 
like he did with all the people, the great cloud of witnesses. We have this great cloud of witnesses of people who engaged with God and went out to do something great for him. For that's the love of Christ. It controls and it compels us to persuade, to go after people, to get to equip them, to empower them, to get them to not lay down the purpose and call of God, but to pick it up with the fear of the Lord and with the understanding that your life is built around this one thing, that you would do what God has called you to do with all your heart, mind, and soul, that you would worship him and love him and give him everything that you have so that other people in this world do not have to go to hell. So that other people don't live in the dark and are in bondage and blind and dying while you sit in a room and, and, and enjoy the goodness of God, but yet other people don't ever get to see it because you won't go out and tell them about him. One died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that all those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for their sake. For now on, we regard no one from a human point of view according to the worldly standards and values. Though we have known Christ this way from a human point, but we no longer know him that way because we have the Holy Spirit. We can see him the way God wants us. He's our savior. He's our king. He is the king of kings. He is a king. And he's the king of our life. And kings give instruction. They give mandates. They give purpose. And he's not just making you a servant and a slave. He's calling you friend. And he's saying, hey, friend, I've empowered you to go do something for me, for my kingdom, for my purpose, so that we can partner in in, in seeing God's kingdom manifest on the earth. It's a beautiful thing. It's actually an awesome thing. It's an exciting thing. You know, I want you to go to, I'm going to, tie this up with Revelation. I want to take you to Revelation. I want to give you a picture of Jesus. This is who's coming back. This is who's coming back for us is this awesome man who is God, Jesus. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking. This is Revelations 1 in verses 12 through 20. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And after turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw someone like the son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching to his feet and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. His head and hair were white, like white wool, glistening white, like snow. And his all seeing eyes were flashing like a flame of fire, piercing into my being. His feet were like burnished white hot bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was powerful like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword of judgment and his face reflecting his majesty and the Shekinah glory was like the sun shining in all of its power at midday. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead and he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last absolute deity, the son of God and the ever living one living in and beyond all time and space. I died, but see, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys 
of absolute control and victory over death and Hades, the realm of the dead. So write the things which you have seen in this in the vision and the things which are now happening and the things which are to take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. So we see Jesus. Here he is. Eyes like fire. With a two edged sword, which is bringing judgment on the earth, judgment for those who reject him and who he is, who ultimately reject God, the one God, the, the, the creator of all things, the, the one who's majestic, the one who deserves to be worshiped, the one who loves us so much that he came and died and showed us how much he loved us and said, hey, sons and daughters, I'm coming to the earth. I'm living as a man and I'm going to die for you so that you can live for me. Because in this whole story, in this whole thing that I've created, I want to ride and dwell in and upon you. And I want to show you how I can work and move in your life and how that old devil who thinks he's won and who has the victory, I want now my children to engage and show him that what I did is permanent. It's in place. And we take up that rod. We take up that authority in Christ and we can go out into the world as his disciples and raise up and empower people to to now engage with that radical mandate from heaven, that great commission, that thing that God's calling us to. The great commission doesn't get pushed to the side. It's not a second thought. It's before he went to heaven. He said, hey, guys, boom, here's the instruction. Here's the mandate. Keep it in your the forefront of your eyes. Look at it. Gaze at it. Gaze at, gaze at the mission. Find out who I am and what I have for you to do. But now look at the mission because as you go, I'll go with you and I'll empower you. You don't have to wait, you know, a hundred years to be used by God. You don't have to wait all your life to finally get a revelation of it. You just have to go out and do it. God will use you. In fact, you don't even have to be perfect. <laughs> you can be broken. You can be busted and God will still use you. Just open your mouth. Just give him your hands. Just give him your feet. Give him your eyes. Give him your ears. Let him use your life. Every Christian, everyone who calls him Lord, he will use. He will use. These organizations, these structures, these, these places are there to build, to produce Christian, Christians. God gave me a revelation about um, what churches were for. If you go, if you want to be a lawyer, then you go to law school, right? And you want, if you want to be a good lawyer, then you go to one of those uh, schools, right? That the what's the best law school or whatever they go, and then they go, oh, you went to that law school? Wow, you must be a really good lawyer. You paid a lot of money. You better be good, right? So, but then you can go and you can go to some other law school and get past the bar and then get a degree and be a pretty shoddy whatever lawyer. Well, that's not what we want in Christianity. We want to go to a great church that produces and empowers and equips great, awesome Christians. And yes, there is a difference between lukewarm, watered down, disobedient, no fear of the Lord, living half in the world, living live in kind of sloppy Christianity or those who are on fire. And God's not saying, hey, I don't love the people that are living that way. He loves them. He loves them a lot. In fact, 
his heart's desire is that some of those radical, awesome Christians would show his love to them by going and and going after and pursuing and saying, hey, God's got better for you. God's got more. Aren't you miserable? Aren't you busted? Don't you don't you realize there's not the in this world you can try to seek and find all the things, but you'll never find it until you give everything to him. Come, come, come be a part. Come be a part. Come here. Come over here. We're going to we're going to engage with you. We're going to connect with you. We're going to make sure that you fulfill and see everything that God has for your life come to pass because we will fight with you. We fight for you, not against you. This is Christianity. And God showed me this picture because this is the type of Christianity that God wants to raise up in the last days, that there is such a a awesome, fiery love for Jesus and understanding of who he is as savior and king, but also understanding who he is as master and one who actually instructs and gives us a mission and a purpose and a calling every single one of us to fulfill on the earth. And if you go into the letters of Revelation, which I'm going to wrap up because I've already taken up a lot of time, you can read discipleship in the Bible as Jesus goes and begins to correct and instruct, admonish, encourage seven churches, rebuke. He's discipling them. He's going, hey, here, let me speak to the angel, which people say is the pastor, right, of of those churches. Let me speak to, uh, let's just say, let me speak in in correction, instruction, and disciple you. Here's where you're doing good. Here's where you're doing wrong. Most Christians want to live in a place where all they want to hear is, just encourage, just tell me what I'm doing right. They don't ever want to hear anything that's abrasive and corrective because, right, then it exposes the heart. Oh, You really don't want God's correction. You really don't want his instruction. You just want all the good, but you don't want any of the tough stuff. And if you live your life that way, when tough stuff comes, you will crumble. You will turn away from God. You will let go of the purpose and the call, and you will end up missing the assignment and why God created you, saved you, redeemed you, and left you on the earth, and why he wants you to fulfill what he has for you on this earth. And I pray now that God, you would empower, encourage, equip every listener with a hunger and a thirst and a desire to be used by you for your glory, for who you are, for everything that you are is awesome and magnificent. And that they would enter into that desire and that passion, ambitious pursuit of pleasing you in Jesus' name. Amen. Chosen us for love, you've chosen us for life.